If your mental health only serves you, then I'm sorry, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say about that. Like all these people that are like, oh, protect your energy, protect your vibe. Yeah, okay, but like for what? So you can be good for this world. So you can be good for your community. And if you are, whether it's spirituality, whether it's your mental health, and all you're doing is taking care of yourself, I'm sorry, that's not going to serve you. You're still going to be miserable because we don't work like that. We belong to each other. And so how do you take care of yourself quickly, deliberately, consciously, and get back into it? Mm -hmm. So when I say, okay, I just saw this video. And some of these videos, I have to watch two in a day and that's going to rock my world, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm very conscious. I mean, because that is social activism right now is going and liking and following and, you know, highlighting and commenting and all of this stuff. And I take that like a job right um, right now. So these are my committed times. This is when I'm going to do it. This is when I'm not going to do it. This is how I'm going to show up for it. This is what I'm going to do after it. So it's a ritual. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I'm sitting at the traffic light. Let me scroll through some stuff. No, you are going to hurt yourself and you are going to be no good for anyone when you do Hello, hello, Brave Table fam. Welcome to another episode of The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Nita, and this is your oasis, your destination to be all things just a little bit more brave. Brave in your actions, brave in your conversations, and brave in your life. And today, we have a juicy one for you. I'm so, so, so excited to actually take you with me to Dubai. I actually had the pleasure of meeting an incredible soul, somebody that I have been kind of, you know, following for some time on IG. And I reached out and I told her that I loved everything that she was doing around mental health and mental health for the diaspora in the Middle East. And I realized quite a few things that were actually similar in our journeys and our paths. She's also a mama. She's a mama of four. And why I loved her so much, and I'm so excited to bring her to the Brave Table, is she's going to help us and talk to us about how we can manage our emotions and when and how to break global events to our children and how to talk to them about crises and how to actually process our own grief along with our children. And this is none other than Dr. Saliha Afridi. And she is a clinical psychologist and as the co-founder of the Lighthouse Arabia, which is a UAE-backed mental health center established in 2011 with a mission to positively impact the mental health of individuals and families in the Middle East. It is now one of the premier centers. She was actually featured in Harper's Bazaar on the cover. And she was raised and educated in the US. Actually, Dr. Afridi was raised also in uh, Downers Grove North, which was very, very close to where I grew up in Chicago. And she brought her wealth and dynamic experience of mental health issues being trained at University of Michigan. And over the past decade, she has become a pivotal figure not only in corporate wellness, but she also offers her expertise in stress management, coaching. She's been all over on all platforms in the Middle East, as well as in Dubai, as well as transformational counseling. Dr. Freedy's work is characterized by her dedication to empowering individuals and teams courageously to face their challenges and foster their own path to happiness. Now, we dig in 
in this episode. And I know you'll love it because we explore her brave decision of how she chose to move from the US to Dubai and really go after her dream of creating a center when mental health wasn't even talked about, when it was actually a taboo topic. And we also get into the various forms of grief. So it doesn't mean that if you have lost somebody, that's the only grief. There are different kinds of grief, moving away, entering in a new season, having challenges with different friendships, and the grief that maybe your kids are experiencing through any type of loss. And we also get into how to maintain a personal well-being amidst the things that you see on social media, on the news, and how to have your own sense of social responsibility and social activism while protecting your own mental health. All right, we will get to it and bringing on to the break table this week, Dr. Saliha Afridi. Hey love, want to go deeper and behind the scenes with our mini trainings with some of our guests on the break table? Then become an insider and get the inside scoop. It's absolutely free and you'll unlock private mini trainings that will help you be even more brave in your relationships as we go deeper in certain areas of your life. So become an insider today for free at nithabushin.com forward slash insiders. That's I-N-S-I-D-E-R-S and learn from the vice doctor documentary, Shaft on Pleasure, Dr. Kate Northrup on Money Blocks, Karen Rockland on Speaking Your Truth, and Dr. Nisha Khanna on Women's Health and so, so much more. And guess what? It's all free when you go to Neeta, that's N-E-E-T-A, Bouchon, B-H-U-S-H-A-N.com forward slash insiders. Grab your inside scoop today. And now back to the show. Dr. Saliha. Wow. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I feel like when I was coming to Dubai, the one person that I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to have on for a variety of reasons. And I'm so honored that you can sit with us today at the Brave Table and just kind of learning and doing some deep dives. And my team was doing some research on you and I did not know, but like we've had very similar paths. We started out in Chicago. Yeah. And then also you've had a time in Malaysia and life has kind of brought you to Dubai. And it's so interesting because your early life was in Downers Grove, yes, which was where my dental practice was, which is like the town right next door. Yeah, It's so interesting, the synchronicities and the connection. And so take us through just a little bit of that early life of like little... Saliha when she was growing up? Well, I was born in Pakistan and we moved to the U.S. when I was eight years old. And I lived in Downers Grove the whole way through. I went to University of Michigan for my undergrad. Before that, my family actually moved to Malaysia. So my parents moved there and a lot of us, my siblings and I were in the U.S. in colleges and married. And so... Our summers would be spent often in Malaysia or in Southeast Asia and in Pakistan. So it was between Malaysia, Pakistan, and the U.S. And then eventually I did my master's and my doctorate in Phoenix, Arizona. I did my pre-doctoral 
internship in Dallas. Oh, wow. So I was also in Texas. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved Dallas. It was amazing. And then I moved to Dubai. Mm. Yeah. And so I've been here 15 years. For the last 13, I have had a private practice that I have started and built. It is now one of the largest practices here in Dubai, if not the region. And yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the lighthouse? Sure. Because I want to set context for a bit as kind of, you know, some of the big atrocities in the world have been unfolding. I feel like, and particularly, you know, in Gaza, I feel like in the West, if you were trying to find other information and if you were on the side of humanity, there weren't many accounts that were doing that initially early on. And so when I stumbled across your account, I was like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And she's a mom. And you like said every single post that you were sharing and that you were talking about, obviously it was coming from a lens of somebody who has done the work and is big on just internal healing. You were talking a lot about grief. I know that Brave Table fam, you've heard me talk a lot about grief since that's been part of my background. But to have somebody come from you know, the East who kind of looks like us and can speak to, I think, the things that so many of us were feeling, but you were actually putting words to, you know, the the pain. Mm -hmm. And then you are kind of heading this, you know, the, the lighthouse mission. Can you tell us about that? Because you've partnered up with the government. I mean, tell us a little bit about what it is. Sure. So when I first moved here, there was just a handful of psychologists in the country. And mental health really was, you know, just like this country is a few years older than I am. So it's not like it was just in its beginnings. I love how quickly it has moved in the last 15 years, leaps and bounds we have moved when it comes to mental health. But when I first moved here, there wasn't a lot going on around that space. And when I told people I wanted to start a private practice for mental health, everybody was like, uh, we don't talk about that stuff here. We don't have mental health here. And so it was quite a brave decision. It was quite a scary decision for me. Everybody told me, don't do it. Everybody said it's not going to work. And my mission really was to provide free support. So through support groups, through education, through psychoeducation, through parenting workshops, because that was really what my entry into the world of psychology was all through parenting. I did my dissertation on parenting. Mm. So this really was for me that I need to work with the parents. We need to work together. We need to heal. We pass on our wounds just as much as we pass on our eye color and our hair color. So <laughs> it really is important that we do that work. And so for me, it was very important to just talk about that mm. um, and to do it in a way that I could just do it for free because no one was going to pay for something that they didn't believe in. Right. So that's where the lighthouse actually started, where how do I create something that will fund the thing that I need to do, which is to create free services. Mm -hmm. And so Tara and I, we started this private practice, which then housed all of our grief support groups and our parenting workshops and talks that we would do for free. Mm -hmm. And what started off as two people and one support group and one parenting or two parenting talks a month has now become 
42 people. We have over 25 groups all related to some type of life grief, not just grief by death. And um, Can you talk about that a little bit? Like sure. the different kinds of grief? That... Oh, yeah. I mean, there's all types of grief. Every, wherever there is a loss, there is a grief. Wherever there is a change, there is a grief. Wherever there is a birth, there is a death. And you cannot move forward without a loss. You cannot even have happy moments without there be loss in them. So there's always this kind of bittersweet, once you get to a place in your life where you can feel that each moment there is life and each moment there is death. With every breath we take, there is one less that we will take. So if you can just be open to that, there is grief alongside of everywhere and everything that you do. So we tend to grief like infertility and we have grief from heartbreak and divorce. And of course, those who are dealing with the loss of someone who died. So it was a mission. I was on it. I have a beautiful team. I'm so blessed every time I think about like, wow, what we've done in the last 15 years. It's unbelievable. Like, that's why I love this city. I love this community. I love this region. I'm not from this region, but I absolutely am from this region. My soul belongs here. Totally. Um, and yeah. I know we were talking about it before the camera started rolling, but would you ever go back to the States? You know, I cannot say I will never, because as soon as I say that, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> and right. so my kids are going to grow up and they're going to go to college. My daughter is now looking to go to California for her education and my kids will go there. And so who knows what my future holds, but... One thing I feel quite sure about is that I belong to this region and this region belongs to me. My soul is from here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an old story, I'm, I'm not sure from which tradition, that where you will be buried is where your soul is from. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know about where I will be buried, but I know where my soul felt at ease. Yeah. And I have lived in many countries now and I've traveled many countries. My soul is always uneasy. And then I arrived in the UAE and I know my home is within me, but the place has a lot to do with bringing you to your center. Mm -hmm. And the UAE did that for me. And I came home to myself and I feel most at ease in this place. Mm. And I think a lot of times, obviously, we have had the fortune to be able and the privilege to be able to be in several different places mm -hmm. around the world to actually have that experience. What do you think for somebody who is maybe starting out their healing journey? They're listening to this for the first time. They're drawn to you and just kind of just the way that you speak. And I feel like you have this calming energy. When you walked in the room, I was like, oh my gosh, my nervous system is like calibrated <laughs> because she's here. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that says a lot about who you are, but also I think for somebody listening who maybe doesn't have that and is looking for that and is looking for where I feel at home, or maybe I don't know if I do, maybe what steps do you think that they could yeah. begin to take to start discovering or rediscovering that in themselves? If I look back at my life, when my journey began, I think one thing that I did do right, and I didn't have a choice. I think if I had a choice, maybe I wouldn't have, but my spirit is very loud. 
And I wouldn't say it's an intuition. It was just like a, a nature. It's a spirit in me. And it forced me to do certain things. And so I would say, if you don't have such a spirit, you do have a sense, usually. Like, mm. you feel more comfortable in certain places or you feel drawn to certain places and you don't know why you're drawn to that. And it could look really like, why am I even going there? Or why am I even doing this? It doesn't have to make sense to your cognitive mind, mm -hmm. to your egoic mind. It should just be a yes. Mm -hmm. And so move forward. I think what's happening now, because we are living in the age of information, people are waiting till they know everything before they take that first step. Yeah. And I would say, you don't have to see mm -hmm. the whole path. You just have to say, well, I'm going to go this way. And I've taken, oh my God, so many wrong turns. If someone were to look at me from outside, mm -hmm. they would be like, oh, gosh, this woman has made plenty of mistakes. Mm -hmm. But I made all those wrong turns with the right heart and it led me to the right place. And mm -hmm. so what I tell my children is that I pray that you make lots of mistakes. I pray those mistakes don't cause you any bodily harm. Mm -hmm. But I pray that you take the risk and you step into your courage and you do the daring thing and then just see where the road takes you so say yes so to the person who's just like I don't know what to do just say yes mm -hmm. to that first thing and then say yes to another thing one thing I would say and I know we're living in a culture of like vibes but mm -hmm. if it's feeling too comfortable and you're always in like all the right vibes you might not grow Mm. Like you have to have a vibing community that vibes with you, but you've got to step out into the jungle and into the danger and into the forest and into a heroic journey where it is absolutely uncomfortable. I mean, this is you having three teenagers that you're raising. Yeah. When I found that out, I mean, you have four kids, but mm. I mean, you don't even look like you have a single child. <laughs> <laughs> but you, and and that too, an 18-year-old, yeah. a 16-year-old yeah. and a 14-year-old. Yeah, 15-year-old. 15, 15, yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so at one time you had uh, all three kids under five four. or four. Under, under four. four. Yes. Oh my gosh. And my kids are two and five. That is yeah. insane. Yeah. And so how have you been talking to them even about like, you know, just difficulty and challenges mm -hmm. when I feel like everything that we see from that generation or, you know, Gen Z or even, I forget the generation even before that, mm -hmm. they're very like, if it's too hard, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, I just beach vibes all day. And how are you instilling that? And are they open to it as teenagers? They will have their own path. I cannot force them upon a path. But my son... For example, he came to me when he was 14 and he said he wanted to go to boarding school to a football academy in France. And every bit of me, because I felt like, wait, 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 I thought we had four more years together. And he just came one day and said it was July or it was in June, July, he was going to go try out and in August he would leave. So I had three months to do all the work of ending and grieving and whatever else comes with that before he left. And inside of me, I felt the restraint of a protective mother and I had to do that work. So 
the kids will come to you. They know their path. It's the mothers and the fathers that need to get out of the way. And if we have done our work, we will see, ah, here he goes. This is his hero's journey. I cannot stand in his way. Even though everything in me was, I mean, I have not felt that kind of pain. Even when I talk about it now, it, you know, overwhelms me. Mm. That sudden loss that I felt and all the regret that shows up, that did I make the most of that time? All of that shows up for a mom or a dad. But I said, yes, that's it, you go. And so I took him, I set him up, and then I left him. And there are days where he doesn't message. There are weeks that might go by where he just sends a thumbs up or a peace sign or something. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, he's on his path. And I want you to know that this is a home for you to come back to. But if that's where you need to go, then go. So I think setting them free is going to be the biggest task. But for the kids, for example, my daughter who was going through quite a lot when everything began in Gaza in the most recent events, I should say. And it was very, very painful for her. And when she came to me and she said, you know, mom, it hurts too much. It mm. just hurts too much. And how, like, do I make it stop or what do I do? How do I deal with this? Because it's like, it's breaking my heart. Mm -hmm. And I told her that then you got to let it break. At that point, again, an instinct came up that, okay, just maybe you should stop watching it or maybe you shouldn't do that or just focus on your school. This is a very important year for you. This is a very important time for you. Application, all of this came right. in my mind. But it focus was like- Focus on school, accolades, achieve, grades- but it was like, no, we're going to let your heart break. And I used the metaphor of, you know, her working out in the gym. Mm -hmm. I said, just like you go to the gym and you build muscle, you've got to build your heart muscle. And you've got to give it enough pain so it ruptures because that's how muscles are built. They rupture and repair. And you have to have small tears in that muscle. But then you've got to have the aftercare, the protein, all of that stuff in order to build the muscle. So the same thing goes for your heart. The heart is a muscle. You've got to lift heavy feelings. You've got to slowly build up the muscle to lift really big feelings. And one day when you are my age, you may be able to even do the collective lifting. But it doesn't happen suddenly. You don't just move into the collective space quickly, but you've got to make a commitment. It is a soul activism. It is a commitment you make. And so these are just small ways that I allow my children to... I get out of the way, basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I coach them. Mm -hmm. I don't have to tell them anything. Even my nine-year-old now, when she sees me cry, you know, she's like, oh my God, you know, you're saying... I'm not sobbing and wailing in front of her. I do that alone. Mm -hmm. But in front of her, they see me cry and they see me in pain. And I let them know that the world's pain should hurt you mm. because that means you're going to do something about it. So giving them permission, I mm. think is so important. And getting out of their way is so important. Yeah. Not leaving them, keeping your eye on them, watching them is most important. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought this up. And it, there's one of the posts that, and this was one that actually went viral on your account. And, you know, you kind of share when you were having this conversation with your daughter, you know, don't stop feeling because the future of humanity is literally in the hands of people like you, people like you who feel pain when others hurt, who stay connected to humanity when hate seems to be trending. And 
Oof. I mean, that really struck a chord because yeah. it's like, I know my kids are obviously much younger and at this point, you know, we are still sheltering them from, you know, all of the things. We don't really watch news in the house and, you know, with our mainstream news and in, in in where we're at, it's not even trustworthy anyways. So it's been, we have our agreements to not, but I think that also when we're in spaces, like we were in India and the cousins are there and they're much older and then they are bringing these things in of like whatever different threads of whatever a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old would say to a Mm five-year-old. And so then they're around that. I remember my son was just randomly asking me questions about certain things. And, you know, my husband and I, we look at each other, we're like, oh, okay, we're going to have that conversation right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he asked something the other day about like death and dying and, you know, and well, if we die, like, where do we go? And why do people die? And so it was just like, okay, I was not, ready for that. (laughs) And so, you know, to your point in bringing this up, and I think for a lot of our community, the questions that I feel like moms ask a lot is, well, how much do we shelter our kids? You know, what is age appropriate? And that's when I was coming to your account because I'm like, oh my gosh, she's talking about this. I think there was one picture of you and your kids. You know, you've had the watermelon up and to be able to normalize it for them, should they be taking in a lot of those images? Mm. And what is age appropriate? I think I was also having these conversations with certain friend groups where, you know, it's safe to have these conversations with because I feel like, like we were talking about before, there are certain areas where you just don't feel comfortable. You don't feel like you'll be seen. You Mm -hmm. feel like you'll be gaslit. And that has been going a lot on a lot around just even having the space to have these conversations. What do you say about that? I would say that if your kids are asking you those questions, then they're ready for that conversation, but it has to be age appropriate. And I've never seen my role as a mother to protect my children. Mm. I've always seen my role as someone who's going to teach them to protect themselves. Now, obviously, I'm going to protect them from like not crossing the street when it's, you know, all of that, the contextual stuff. But when it comes to emotional pain, I will not protect them because my job, I have 18 years, mostly. And then after that, maybe other things will happen. But Mm -hmm. I've got 18 solid years to teach them how to be an adult. That's what my role is, to teach them how to do childhood, to stay connected to their playfulness, to be grateful, to be generous, to be kind. And how do you deal with when friends leave you, when your heart breaks, when someone you trusted betrays you? I've got to teach them that. And if that's when, you know, Johnny takes that thing from you and that really broke your heart, we're going to work with that because we've got to work with what we've got. And so... My children are not on social media and just having a conversation right now with my 18-year-old. Like, okay, you're going to go on TikTok and Instagram and you're going to do these things. How you helped her with all... Like, she wasn't on it before 18. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've educated my kids. They've made a decision to listen. But, you know, they go and they have their conversations on Snapchat, but they're not on social media or posting or any of that stuff. So that's not something that any of my 
children have. And I don't want them to have it. And I've explained to them why. Mm -hmm. So, of course, they get exposure from their friends and their friends are talking about it or they might come across it on YouTube when they're doing any research for school. So, of course, they're going to get some exposure, but it is limited in that sense. And so, what I would say is that when they do bring me that conversation, I do have an age-appropriate conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And so if he's asking about death, then I would say whatever your spiritual and religious beliefs are. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I would say is that don't tell children that the deceased person went to God. Mm. That's one thing that I would advise not to do when they're very young Mm. because then they don't really like God because Mm. they took away the Mm. person they loved. Oh, interesting. So... Find a way to say they went to the heavens or they went to the other realm. I don't know, whatever it is that you want to say. Mm -hmm. But if you say someone took away my mother Mm. and that thing just happened to be God, I ain't going to like God very much. Mm. So You're going to make a meaning in your mind that that person is bad. I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. So it just depends on what your beliefs are, but definitely age appropriate, I would say. So when my eight-year-old came and why are you crying? I'm crying for Palestine and what's happening in Palestine. And I had to give her a, you know, just a rough overview of what's going on and how long it's been going on. And she's obviously like, why? And of course, like things are so simple for them. Like, it doesn't make sense. Why can't we all just get along? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, this doesn't make sense to me either. And if I don't know the answer, I say, I don't know. Mm. But let's pray about that and let's pray for that. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't speak in terms of other. Mm. Oh, they're the bad guy and we're the good. No, for me, this doesn't work. There's a bridging always and there's good always. And I'm always highlighting the good in the other Mm -hmm. and saying, and there will be this goodness that we can integrate. And Mm -hmm. so I think when we speak in us versus them, it creates a lot of unnecessary pain. Mm -hmm. So speaking in terms of, well, look at how many people are coming together for peace. Mm -hmm. So how do you hold grief alongside of gratitude? How do you hold grief alongside of joy? This Mm -hmm. is our role as a mother and father, I think, as our children are growing. And I mean, you say something just that's so poignant because they can exist together. The grief Mm -hmm. can exist with joy and the sadness can exist with, you know, it's opposing. And I I feel like I love that movie, the Pixar movie. I feel like we have it like on repeat at home, Inside Out, because that was like the very first movie that would teach us the bare basics of, you know, emotional intelligence and just feeling the feels of our emotions. For the first time, my long-awaited three-day retreat is finally here. Imagine pouring into yourself as you deserve in a special oasis so that you feel so nourished over the course of three days of expansion, rejuvenation, and soul-nurturing time. Step away from your day-to-day hustle and chaos and step into a portal to strengthen your inner light with me on the grounds of Boone, North Carolina, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar's Art of Living Center, April 26th through the 28th. There's still shared rooms available. Don't wait. Say yes to you today. Now, back to the show. I'll be honest with you here. It has been a heavy time. And how have you been able to 
alchemize your, you know, being able to kind of sit in the sadness of what's going on and not being able to do anything. But I feel like it's one of the reasons why, you know, we met and, you know, I'm bringing you on. But I think for a lot of people, they're feeling just like stuck in those Mm -hmm. emotions. And how have you dealt with your uh, alchemy? And what do you suggest for others who are kind of sitting in the heavy? I think most important is you've got to know yourself. You've got to know your tolerance. Mm -hmm. You've got to know your capacity. If you are taking on that much and you you don't have the muscle, you're going to injure yourself. It's like going again into the gym analogy. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to bench press 100, but you haven't even lifted 10, yeah, that thing is going to drop on your neck and probably like really not be good for you. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that you build a muscle Mm -hmm. and you can only calibrate yourself. Like you can only know, okay, I've watched this much today yeah, and I've done that. Okay, now I've got to do something with this. So people are just exposing themselves to video after video and picture after picture. And then they're like stunned and dissociated traumatized, there is a thing, secondary trauma, Mm -hmm. and they're not recognizing that they're traumatized. And then they go to work and then they go through their day and then they they sit down again and watch videos, but they haven't done anything with what they just watched. Mm. So have you cried? Have you shaken? Have you, you know, taken care of whatever energy has come up for you Mm -hmm. in some way, paused and just say, okay, I just saw this. And whether you're praying for that person or whether you're crying for that person or whether you're journaling, whatever it is, and then get back into it. So I'm not one of those mental health professionals that's going to be like, oh, take care of your mental health. And that means you go live in an island where you don't have any connection to what's happening in the world. If your mental health only serves you, then I'm sorry, that's not that's not good. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say about that. Like all these people that are like, oh, protect your energy, protect your vibe. Yeah, okay, but like for what? So you can be good for this world. So you can be good for your community. And if you are, whether it's spirituality, whether it's your mental health, and all you're doing is taking care of yourself, I'm sorry, that's not going to serve you. You're still going to be miserable because we don't work like that. We belong to each other. Right. And so how do you take care of yourself quickly? Mm-hmm. deliberately, consciously, and get back into it. Mm-hmm. So when I say, okay, ooh, I just saw this video. And some of these videos, I have to watch two in a day and that's going to rock my world, mm-hmm. right? And I'm very conscious. I mean, because that is social activism right now is going and liking and following and, you know, highlighting and commenting and all of this stuff. And I take that like a job right, um, right now. So these are my committed times. This is when I'm going to do it. This is when I'm not going to do it. This is how I'm going to show up for it. This is what I'm going to do after it. So it's a ritual. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I'm sitting at the traffic light. Let me scroll through some stuff. No, you are going to hurt yourself and you are going to be no good for anyone when you do that. Oh, Dr. Zaliha, that those are some amazing like mic drop moments. And I think that, yeah, so many, like you said, they are doing their social activism. They are trying to highlight and promote accounts that, you know, obviously need to be known so that we can all kind of uplift voices together. But at the same time, everyone's feeling this like emotional burnout and you know, it, it takes a toll. And you're saying, 
No, schedule it like you would any other grieving practice or any other self-care practice. You do the thing, you take care of yourself beforehand, afterwards, and process it. Whether it's the scream, shake, cry, dance, move, punch, whatever, but but release those emotions. And you're right, a lot of us are kind of just going at it, but then it's piling up and then we get the full depletion. Or we're then taking it out on you know, family, friends, and everything else. And people say something like, oh, well, you know, people in Palestine don't have that. Yeah, but they also don't have to go to work and take their kids to school and go to the Christmas play. And they don't have to do some of these things. So you have to function. And you have a commitment to all the other things you have to do. Mm -hmm. So you have to exist within your space and they are existing within their space. And you have to do whatever it is that you can to support them Mm -hmm. in whichever way. And this is how we are saying, hey, listen, we witness you. We are not going to have this happen and us not speak about it. We will speak for you. We will amplify you. We will serve you. But in order for me to do that, I have to be able to have Mm -hmm. rituals around some of these practices. So for people that work, don't do it during the work day. Don't do it before a meeting. Don't do it before a big day. Don't mm-hmm. do it first thing in the morning. Definitely don't do it last thing at night. And there should be, you know, light a candle, say a prayer. I have a therapist. Yeah. I speak to her about what's coming up for me. So that's another way I process my stuff. Support groups are a great place because what we're doing right now, which is absolutely unnatural for human beings, is that we are grieving alone. Mm. And I know we're like, oh no, but we have our social community. It's like, no, physically, Mm. we need each other's nervous system. Mm. When you sit and you say, hey, I'm going through this and I'm just holding that space for you physically, something happens in our nervous system. It's co-regulation. It is how we've lived for thousands of years on this planet. We belong to each other. We belong to each other's nervous system. We care for each other. I can disrupt your nervous system. I can soothe your nervous system. But even just sitting and crying together, we don't even have to talk. Mm. That does something for our grief. So it's really, really important that you sit in person with other people Mm. and talk about this. And that's why whenever you find three people, all of a sudden, the next thing you know, we're talking about our grief. Because we're so desperate to. Right. And so, yeah, sure, guys, do it online, do the Zoom thing, great. But I'm telling you, it ain't a substitute for how we are programmed. I love that you are bringing this up because I think that, you know, even in the last month of me traveling throughout the region and just being with, you know, a close circuit of friends where, you know, there is that trust and we kind of know that we're kind of all feeling the same thing. And even with you, just like instantly, we were like able to connect and bond over some of these things to actually share what's really going on. There is a sense of just like lightness and there is a sense of just like, oh, okay, I feel seen. I feel seen by you and you know, you feel seen by me. And I think that for folks who are listening to this, who actually have the ability to maybe call up two friends that you trust, that actually trust you to actually grieve together. Do you recommend like a time frame? Do you recommend kind of 
you know, what is your recommendation for how kind of a grieving party could look like? Yeah, I think, I mean, it could be a dinner. It could be two hours. It could be three hours. But you know that you will go and you'll start talking about sadness. And then there'll be moments where you'll be laughing about something. And then there'll be moments where you talk about something sad. And then there'll be moments where things are light. And so it really is a process that you go through and there will be laughter and there will be tears and there will be silence. So make some space for that. And so, yeah, I think two, three hours is good. I wouldn't do one hour. I would probably do no less than 90 minutes, but making space for that and have it be like a pajama party so people don't have to like get dressed up and like come, but rather just show up and how you are. I think, well, and yeah, it gives people permission to just like to chill and just be in each other's essence. Mm -hmm. I want to actually speak to, there was an article that was written about you and specifically around women and and moms. Uh, Harper's Bazaar said that, you know, they they quoted you, women especially carry unacknowledged and unexpressed anger in the center of their heart because society has not yet made it acceptable for a woman to accept, express, and use her anger constructively. A woman who is asserting her truth is labeled as too intense, too aggressive, too bossy, too much. Can you speak to that? Because mm-hmm. I feel like it goes alongside with this these elements of grief. And I think you know, for a lot of us at the brave table, especially with the waves of emotions that we tend mm-hmm. to feel. What do you say about that? Well, I have learned since then that anger is energy. Anger is a behavior. Underneath anger, usually there are so many other feelings that exist. I think women, you know, there's been oppression. There has been suppression. There has been denial. There has been judgment. There has been demands and expectations. And even if we don't say them out loud, it is in the air. It is that subtle. It is like in the water that we drink. And so we are angry and we have a lot to prove and we have a lot to say And I think we are finding our voice. I think we're on the right path. Some of us maybe, I don't know, I think this whole woman versus man thing, it's not my thing. I think women and men are beautiful together. I think we should support each other. So this kind of feminism that is anti-male is not something I support. But I think that, you know, men and women against patriarchy, that I support because men have equally restrictive roles through patriarchy. They also have to protect, provide, procreate power. They have these roles and they can't break free out of them. Women, we've tried to break free and we've probably gone further than they have when it comes to just breaking out of some of these constructs. So it really is, I think women, we do need healthy ways of expressing our anger because sometimes when it comes out, we swing all the way to a very aggressive side or we're extremely passive and we don't say anything and we're in that people-pleasing space. And then we keep moving back and forth and we swing from the left to the right. And some of that will be normal as you try to find your voice, but you've got to find a way to regulate yourself. You've got to learn emotional literacy. You've got to learn how to manage your emotions and learn them and navigate them and listen to them, have them guide you sit with them. So it's a whole realm. It is a whole language. It is a whole way of being with your emotions. It's not just anger. It is every emotion that is there to guide you. So I think men and women could use 
more of that. Yeah, totally. And you're giving people permission. I feel like I can listen to you rant all day. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you have a podcast as well. And I feel like after this episode, people are going to be running to want to learn more about you and The Lighthouse. And so can you share a little bit about how we can get more connected? So yeah, it's on my Instagram at Dr. Saliha Afridi. The podcast is called Inner Journey. And my forte, I would say, is mostly working with people within passages that are mostly the midlife passage, the dark night of the soul. It really is working when society's expectations just don't have that kind of hold on you anymore. Like, what do you do with that? How do you figure out who you are? How do you define who you are? How do you support yourself through that journey? That's mostly my work. Oh, and I think it's the the most important work as we are kind of evolving ourselves. And we're also parenting and we're also reparenting ourselves. So let's get into our final igniting round. I just want to first honor you and just the wisdom and the deep care and the knowledge that you have brought to so many of us and that we can, you know, be able to have this conversation here. And I feel like there's many, many more of of that coming at us. So thank you for all of the work that you're doing and how you're amplifying the voices of the oppressed. And because that's what we're, this is the work. Okay, so what does brave mean to you? Mm-hmm. Brave means that you are very afraid and you are so scared and you move forward. Anyway, I think that's what brave means to me. Brave means that I'm so scared I can't sleep at night and I'm so scared that I can't, you know, face the day. And then I get up and I face the day. That's what brave means. It means that you're full of fear and you move forward. For me, I think also brave is stepping in to bigger and bigger fears. There will never be a time. I think if you're fearless, then you might as well be dead. I think Rilke said that, I, I, I'm going to misquote him, but mm-hmm. my one of my favorite quotes is, the goal of life is to be destroyed by greater and greater things. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. But for me, that's what it feels like. I've lived quite courageously throughout my life. I have faced many fears and walked through many fires and I'm still afraid. And there's bigger fears. And then there's bigger fears. So... Brave just means you show up every day. And one word that describes this season of life. (laughs) It sounds a bit strange for me to say, but I think for me right now, I'm uh, moving into the space of being an elder within my community. I'm in midlife, but probably towards the further end of midlife. Yeah. Well, you look incredible for... (laughs) for being an elder. (laughs) Dr. Saliha, the work that you're doing is just incredible. And I'm just so honored that you were able to share your wisdom with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Until next time on The Brave Table. All right, friends. So if you love this episode, please make sure you follow us 
on Instagram. That's at Neetha Bushin and the Lighthouse Arabia, as well as Dr. Saliha Afridi, also on Instagram. And I've linked her in the show notes as well. You can also tune into her podcast where she gets raw and real. She's got four teens. And it's also on Apple and iTunes, Spotify. And that is also linked in the show notes. And if you love this episode, check out the three episodes I've linked for you to go deeper into your mental health journey. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please consider leaving us a five-star review and hit the follow button on Apple. It helps us grow into the hands of more and more people. And screenshot your review. And when you do, you can enter your chance to win some giveaways that we are giving out this month. All right. So friends, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, share this with a friend, a relative, a family member, and don't forget to be just a little bit more brave. I will see you next time. Bye.